This is the IBJ podcast for the week of August 14th, 2023, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. When people say Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour could have a seismic impact on Indianapolis during its three-night stay next year, that's not just a figure of speech. When Swift performed in July at Seattle's Lumen Field, the show generated seismic activity similar to that of a magnitude 2.3 earthquake, thanks to a combination of the sound system and the dancing and cheering of the fans. I can't speak specifically to a fear of seismic tremors, but Eric Neuberger of Lucas Oil Stadium says that he is most worried about the unknowns of hosting such a passionate fan base for a three-hour sing-and-dance-a-thon celebrating Swift's nearly 20-year career. Now, There's no question whether the three shows will break the attendance record for concerts at Lucas Oil Stadium, which Taylor Swift herself set during her previous tour. Everything about this show is huge, starting with the complex stage and set pieces that require 90 semis to transport. When the shows take place in November 2024, Swift's local fan base will have waited more than a year and a half to see the music event of the decade since Indianapolis wasn't on the list of cities for the tour's first pass through America. In this week's edition of the podcast, Eric Neuberger, the director of the stadium, fills us in on the negotiations that led to Lucas Oil landing the tour. To fully appreciate the relationship that brought Taylor to town, you'll have to go all the way back to 2008 and the first concert ever staged at the stadium. Looking ahead, Neuberger discusses the advanced work required to prepare for the shows, the questions that still need answers, and the staff of more than 2,000 people that will be required to stage and host each concert. Here's our conversation. It's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Eric Neuberger, Stadium Director of Lucas Oil Stadium. Thank you for making time today. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, First question, probably the most important. Have you seen the show? I have not seen the show. I can't wait till November 2024. It's going to be wonderful. Would it make sense for you to try to go see the show just out of you know professional interest? You know, traditionally, we do try to advance a show. I don't know if that'll be possible for this one. This uh, demand is a little different. So uh, we'll do our best to learn everything we can from what's happened in 2023 so far so that we put on a great show in 2024. How many people have asked you if you can hook them up with tickets? Countless. <laughs> like literally. You literally have no countless. way. Yeah. Your e- your email e-box is filled with yeah. like, hey, Eric, what's up? It's come, come in waves a bit because uh, a week ago today, the announcement was made. And so that ended up bringing in a flurry of interest. And then, of course, there was the verified fan registration and then the deadline for that. And then the communication that went out from Ticketmaster to those who were waitlisted or got codes. And then uh, as the days go out here, we're, we're going to have a few more big moments where I think people will be particularly interested. But like, do you have cousins and people you went to high school with who are like, hey, can you help with tickets? Yes. And the the good thing is all the long lost cousins and friends and everything, I have uh, pretty simple answers that this is uh, not your typical show and that uh, there's there's one way to get tickets. So 
in that way, it's been a blessing uh, that there's been so much interest. Yeah. So the, the tour is scheduled to stop Indianapolis November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of next year. That's a good 15 months away. Is that going to be enough time to prepare? <laughs> you know, I think it will be. You know, traditionally for our biggest events at Lucas Oil Stadium, we're spending uh, one to two years in earnest. And this is definitely in that category. So we will be learning everything we can about the tour and about the show and about the needs and work out all the details. So 15 months from now, there will be answers to all the questions and people will have a wonderful time. So I want to spend some time talking about how you go about preparing for the, I assume, our unique requirements for the show. Let me ask you first about anything that needs to happen, let's say, between now and the end of the year. Are there any, assuming that you've got a timeline set up already of deadlines, is anything that needs to happen before December? Really, everything that needs to happen this year is making sure that this on sale and that the tickets get out smoothly. That's the key. All the logistics and the movement and the equipment and any modifications or anything that need to be done with Lucas Oil Stadium, that all happens as the show approaches. And most of the stuff comes in on trucks. You know, when uh, Taylor came in in 2018, there were over 80 semi trucks full of uh, production and steel. And we ex fully expect there will be that amount coming this time. Yeah, I have some questions for you about that bit later on. I heard it's 90, uh, according to Trucking Magazine. But uh, we'll get to that in a sec. I know that the story of how Lucas Oil Stadium ended up with, a sh with the Ares Tour has a lot to do with the venue's relationship with Messina Touring Company, which is the promoter of the Ares Tour. Can you give us some background on that relationship? Absolutely. You know, the, the building is now 15 years old and my predecessor, Mike Fox, and the previous booking manager, Brett Cole, really, really developed the relationship that we're, we're helping to continue today. So I've been at the stadium for seven years and one of the first things that I did was try to make sure that we had relationships with the best promoters. And there's really three big ones that we work with. And Messina is definitely one of them. And I think there's been this will be the 11th concert at Lucas Oil Stadium, and it'll be the sixth that Messina Touring Group has brought. And I think that's a testament to the relationship, trusting relationship that uh, we know that that we can expect good things from one another. Did I hear this right? That they were the promoters of the very first shows. And I forget the name of the is a country music artist. Yeah, Kenny Chesney in 2008, 2009, 2012, and 2015 were all Messina Touring Group. And then Taylor Swift in 2018. And then here we are again for 2024. What is a good relationship like? I mean, what's the difference between like a business relationship and like, hey, these, we're close with these guys? You know, I, I'd say that it, there's a constant dialogue throughout the year, quarterly, every, every, every few months where we spend time just talking about things that might be coming, dates that might work. You know, our big challenges at Lucas Oil Stadium is really how uh, successful we've been at booking the stadium. There's an announcement just the other day about Gen Con coming through 2030. There's many like that. So we are scheduling well out into the mid-2030s. So schedule is always one of the biggest challenges we work through. You said there are 11 concerts so far. I don't know why it seems like there have been more, but I mean, it's it must be a monumental undertaking. And also, I guess you really need to have a, a show big enough to fit in Lucas Oil Stadium to do it. Yeah, I think that's it. So there's a couple currents that we swim against when we're trying to 
find dates that work for shows. One is our own schedule, which I mentioned, and how difficult that is. Well, then there's the touring route. Like the the tour is not going to bounce across large geographic areas of the country. There's there's some hub points, and then they're trying to fill in in between. And so if those dates don't work out, there's really not other options. And then um, I think that the challenge really comes down to scheduling for the most part. And that's and that's that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you say, I mean, you have, in some cases, things that are scheduled five or six years in advance, or maybe with the, the concert tours, not quite so much, where maybe the lead time is one or two years. And so you really have to hope that they're that there's something open. Yeah, traditionally, our, our shortest turnaround was U2, or it was four or five months. And oh, then, the, is it the Joshua Tree Tour? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, back in 2017. Or the anniversary, yeah. That's right. And, and I think that probably our longest were concerts that were delayed because of the pandemic, like Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and Def Leppard. So I think the sweet spot is the, the one to two years. And so there's obviously already a lot on our schedule. And then we have to make sure that we maintain uh, great opportunities for the Colts to have their home field advantage as well. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you, have, you do have a pretty important tenant. Yeah. And the Colts. I, yeah. I think that the Taylor's fans were really disappointed that Indianapolis wasn't among the first stops or the stops on the, on the first leg of the tour, which in retrospect was just 20 cities, but it did include neighbors like Chicago, Cincinnati, and Detroit. Can you give us a sense of whether Indianapolis was among the possible candidates for that first leg of the tour and then what happened? Yeah. So as I noted earlier, the the communication's always ongoing. So we were talking about potential dates. There were times early in the conversations or in earlier years where it was going to be more of a traditional show where there'd be more than one city in a week. Well, for this show, that's not how that works. And it's really been more successful to do multiple shows in one city in a particular week. So that reduces the number of cities. This show is really a generational phenomenon. And uh, there really are not acts that can do this many shows in one place in geographic areas, uh, taking into account the proximity to uh, other large music markets than this one. So this one was really unique. And uh, the the scheduling didn't work out for a date that could work in 2023. But I think relying on those relationships and the trust that we built, uh, we were top of mind for 2024. And I think in the end, that's worked out pretty well for Indianapolis. Yeah. And, and she, as you probably know, I mean, she's played here regularly for the last 15 years. There was a period of time where, I mean, she was like clockwork every one or two years at uh, Banker's Life. And then uh, which tour was it? Is it 2018? The Reputation Tour. Right. And that was at Lucas Oil. And do I recall it set some kind of record? Was it for attendance? Yeah, it was the largest concert we've ever had at Lucas Oil Stadium with over 55,000 tickets sold. And uh, that really hasn't been approached by anybody except for Luke Combs this this uh, previous year, where he set his own record for tickets sold, but not quite all the way to the, the building record. We fully expect that it'll that reputation tour from 2018 will be fourth after November 2024. <laughs> There's all sorts of things that make uh, our venue, I think, attractive to an artist like Taylor Swift. And not the least of which is all the back of house space and the really um, well done design of Lucas Oil Stadium that even 15 years into its life goes head to head with the newest and most expensive stadiums around the country. So what is going to be especially complex about this show? What seem to be the, the major challenges? Well, to me, when you do a concert and you do a show like this, there's already 
anomalies because the stage is in a different place every time. Everybody brings their own stuff in production and sight lines are different for different, um, for different shows. So those challenges remain with this. But the number of people and the excitement of the fans, I think, are going to be a real challenge, a challenge we're up for. We need to make sure that people stay safe, which is always our first priority. And we want to make sure that people have a good time. But we also have to make sure that people are in the spaces that they're uh, permitted to go in and that uh, everybody's enjoyment of the event is 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 really positive. There's a lot of back, backstage activity here. There's a lot of peripheral things that go on with it. We're really experiencing that from sporting events, these biggest sporting events. So we, we draw on that uh, experience to to pull this all together. But as the show approaches, more and more third parties come in with their with with what they need in order to make the tour go off smoothly. And we're going to make sure that they have an excellent time, just like we always do. I get the impression there are a lot of moving parts. Uh, I mean, there are 10 different eras that she is drawing from, and each era has its own set pieces. Or, I mean, it's literally like an you know, the, a curtain goes up on a Broadway show and it's a totally different set. And I'm, I'm guessing logistically, I mean, that's a lot of moving stuff, uh, maybe that you wouldn't get with like a Guns N' Roses. Uh, that's absolutely true. And I, I think back to the 2018 show and how we got feedback that we were the fastest load in and load out on tour because of our, our back of house space. You know, we have those two exhibit halls right behind the north end zone. Uh, that really you can actually park semis in and uh, buses and have all sorts of peripheral activities going on. So if you think back to all the props, all the moving large pieces from that reputation tour and knowing what we all know about the eras tour, I think um, they're going to find that we have the, the capacity when I've gone to other stadium shows and seen how they've had to jam things up against walls and work with the fire marshal to make sure that it's still safe. We don't have some of those same problems because we can, in an orderly fashion, have those things at the ready right behind the stage. I, I know from reports we have some elements of the show would include a large hydraulic platform. I feel like maybe we've seen that at some halftime shows. Uh, is, does that pose any any problems? No, not for us. I mean, we have really talented stagehands and, and labor that come here locally from Indianapolis that will be put to work for this on behalf of uh, the stadium. All those things are kind of pre-created and put in place uh, with experts, local experts and the touring experts. And, and that stuff is really no problem. I always say that Lucas Oil Stadium can do anything. It's just time and money. Yeah, right. We have pyrotechnics. Laser lights, image projections, digital screens, all things that you guys have encountered before. Those are all things we've encountered before. So, yeah, tell me more about the, the is it the load in and load out process? My understanding is they actually have two entire complete sets that they uh, have around the country so that they can be like setting up one in one city while the t tour is happening in another city. Like time wise, how long does it take to set up and then tear down? Well, again, you know, it's really a function of how much labor, and this is local labor in this in this um, scenario, we put at it, but this is going to be four or five days to set up and a day or two to take down. So um, we will make sure that we have the right people doing the right things in order to fit that time frame. So yeah, so this is where I'm totally fuzzy, is the, the stadium's role in staging the concert. What is the stadium responsible for? So we are responsible for providing the space and for coordinating all the resources. And when it comes to stagehands, those are actually our employees that are 
ordered from the client, which is Messina Touring Group, in order to enact the, the protocols to make their stage work. And so they have leaders that, that travel with them, but the labor itself is local. Oh, that's amazing. So they don't have like an army of people that travel with the stuff. Uh, to an extent, you get a set of instructions and somebody to help you put it all together, but it's local labor that's doing it. Yeah, I'd say that 95% of the labor is local and the rest are their leadership um, within that specialty in order to make sure that everything is done according to the specifications. And as we said, it's 90 semi-trucks. I mean, 80 to 90. The uh, number that I saw was 90. Where do, where do the trucks go? <laughs> well, this one's a little unique. Um, yeah. What what will happen is the trucks will roll in through our, our south end zone and unload. They'll line all up at the same time or in phases in this case, and they'll unload and roll out. And then at the same time behind the stage, folks will be coming in through our other loading dock and setting up some of the, the, the softer parts of the show. So there's a lot of things happening at the same time. We work around the clock whenever we need to in order to get all that done. And it, it all comes together. It's pretty pretty beautiful when it all happens. So, I mean, Lucas Oil is providing most of the labor. It's providing most of the space. Also providing security, I assume. Yeah. So, in addition to that stagehand labor and setup labor and all those things, we provide the food and beverage service. So, for all the concession stands, we have 500 points of sale in the building. Um, and we'll be fully ready to go, uh, just like we would for the biggest events we've ever had. Um, we'll also provide all the security, both the uh, ushers, ticket takers, uh, armed security with the police officers. All of that comes comes through the, the venue, and that's what our role will be. So we have a client. We want to make them happy. We provide all the resources that they need and things that we don't have we help to connect them with. How many, I don't know if stagehands is the right term, but how many people are going to be required to set up? I can't give you a number on that right now, but what I would say is that there will be more than 2,000 people working on the event days. Um, mm. That gives you a little bit of a sense of how, how many people are in the building uh, trying to make the guest experience and the client experience really positive. So about 2,000 people on a day of a concert is working on the production itself or working concessions or working security. All of the above. A staff of 2,000. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, so, is that is that unusual for a concert that size or is that pretty typical? Uh, not for this concert. I think, you know, we're, of course, wanting to exceed expectations. But uh, at this point in the tour, they also know what their expectations are and they'll communicate those to us. And then we'll use our our knowledge and experience with our building itself, their knowledge with the tour and what's happened at other places, and we'll put together a really good plan. So they are the client. So the revenue is coming to you. They are paying you to have all these elements to stage the concert. So obviously it's very complicated, but there, there, you know, there's a, a transaction involving space and ticket money always goes to the to the to the promoter. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, components to it. It's not a very simple explanation, <laughs> but I, but I, I will say that um, we have a standard way that we do things and, you know, there's, there's rent involved and there's different uh, expenses and things like that that get shared. Okay. Let's take a quick break so we can hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ podcast. Taft. 
today's modern law firm, with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ Podcast and my conversation with Eric Newberger, Stadium Director of Lucas Oil Stadium, about the negotiations and preparations for Taylor Swift's three concerts in Indianapolis next year. So how many tickets will be sold for this show or for each show? So uh, to be determined exactly, but it's going to be more than the 55,000 that was the capacity the last time. Uh, because of the stage position, it's not that we'll reach 70,000 like we do for a Final Four or anything like that, but um, it'll be somewhere in between. And we will absolutely make sure that every seat that's appropriate to have someone in uh, is filled. I remember from the, the Joshua Tree anniversary tour, it's, I think was the floor open for that show, the floor was completely open. It was standing. It was a large pit, and the roof was open that day, if you remember. But I mean, for Taylor, she's so that this show is going to be so stage specific. Is she going to be taking up most of that floor area? Yeah. The if you look at the other shows, you'll you'll be able to see that um, there are seats, there are assigned seats, manifested seats there, and then those work around the stage elements. And the stage elements are big. I know that for uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, Lucas Oil Stadium has sufficient internet service to handle a sold out NFL game, uh, which is significant. Is there a reason to believe that you will need to boost Wi-Fi capacity even more for a Taylor Swift show? Just based on, I mean, the amount of social media excitement uh, in and outside the stadium. Our infrastructure is very strong. It's just three years old and we really went uh, ahead of our time when we did that project a few years ago. But I will say we will analyze the, uh, the floor itself, because if you think about a football game, there's not usually that many people on the floor. So we'll make sure that we have supplemented our system as best as possible to make sure that everybody has a great time. So it's possible to, to kind of put in a special order to who's the providers of Verizon? Or? Smart City is our is our uh, internet provider in Lucas Oil Stadium. And then Verizon does have big capacity in our building for their customers. So you can let them know, look, we have a special event coming and we may need more capacity. Absolutely. We'll look at where people are sitting and what we expect and make sure that what we're providing matches what the need is. I think this tour is is known for attracting thousands of fans at each stop who are not ticketed. They're just hanging out. They just want to be a part of it and want to be nearby. Uh, has the tour given you any information about how you prepare for those people and how many you might expect? No, but we do have our eye on that, and we we do expect that that'll be a challenge that we have not had with other concerts that we've had at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, we will work with our partners in public safety around Indianapolis and neighboring uh, properties to make sure that we have a plan for folks. Um, obviously, if people don't have tickets, it's, it's not a good idea to come to a venue without a ticket uh, for safety reasons, really. But we'll be working uh, with everybody to make sure that we have a clearly articulable plan for folks who yeah. are interested in what's going on. Yeah, because I think people have heard enough about, you know, the thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people who like have a little, little outside community that people are going to want to do it. So I think you need to be prepared for them somehow. Definitely. We will not 
whistle through the graveyard on that, and we will make sure that that there's clear instructions for for folks, and we'll do our best to minimize uh, non-ticketed folks on on the property. Not a super delicate way to to put this, but when you have a crowd that I think we can assume is going to be overwhelmingly female, do you have to do anything with your facilities to make sure there are enough restrooms? Yeah, we have done that for most shows in the past. We are able to see some profile information from Ticketmaster to know what our ratios of folks. And if we believe that our ratio of male to female restrooms is different than the crowd, we can flip those and we do that on a regular basis. So that's something we'll be looking at for sure. We say flip them like a men's restroom could become a women's restroom. Exactly. Okay, great. So how much consultation would you do with other stadiums that have already staged a tour? I mean, is this something that would normally happen that you would call up, uh, you know, somebody from Soldier Field and say, you know, what, how did you deal with this? Uh, Or what surprised you about this element of the show? Yeah. And I think that's really the community of, of venue operators, especially in the NFL, that we do have those kind of relationships. And not only do I have relationships with my counterparts at other stadiums, but our food and beverage um, has has other NFL stadiums. So they will actually know what they've experienced at other places. And they'll bring in some staff from those other sites to supplement for a show like this. And that goes throughout the whole building. So it could be our uh, event managers who are really in charge of making sure that everything is coordinated properly. They're talking to their counterparts at, at the other stadiums that have had this show before. So we really do try to not be surprised. And that is the benefit of going later in this tour. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned concessions. Are you doing anything different with concessions than you would normally see at an NFL game? Or is this going to be that part of it at least be pretty typical? I think it's safe to say we're going to try to do some special things for it. Uh, we have not determined what those are going to be yet. Uh, but at the end of the day, most of our fans, we will we know what they like because of our history and the volume of events that we do, and we're going to try to provide the classics, and and we'll probably try to do some fun things in there too. Uh, stay tuned on that. Uh, anecdotally, I, I've seen on social media after shows in different cities that the crowd tends to be like dazed <laughs> and confused. It's a three-hour show, and it's three hours of dancing and screaming. Uh, and you have, I mean, a lot of people who have trouble finding their cars and you have a lot of people, you know, who have rides that need to get picked up. Is that something you can prepare for? It's definitely something we can prepare for. We're going to certainly advise people to arrange their parking ahead of time so they do know where they're parked and or to use ride share. And we will work with public safety to make sure that our ride share drop off pickup points are clear and that people know how to access those. It's typically on Illinois Street for our largest events. Uh, but we'll work through all those details uh, over the coming months to make sure that that stuff's clear. But yeah, every logistical issue you can think of is something that we're going to face and we're going to try to anticipate. So a conversation like this is really good. You're giving me some ideas to take back <laughs> yeah, to the team. I was going to say, is, is there one thing that you're a little bit nervous about? I think it's the excitement of the fans. It's a blessing and a curse when you have people who are very, very passionate. They they do things they wouldn't normally do. And so uh, we want people to really have a good time. We want everybody to have a good time who comes. So we will try to anticipate that, try to make it smooth from the point that they enter the building, which sets the stage for their whole experience, to when they're we're blowing out the building and people are trying to find their way to their car. So um, 
it's it's really a complete journey that we try to make sure that we can facilitate. And the early in the tour, Taylor uh, had had a few rough things to say to security personnel because they were maybe treating some of the fans a little bit rough. Is that something that gets communicated to you guys? Like, make sure your security people, you know, are not overreacting to things, you know, that they see. Yeah, it's, it's really our responsibility that everybody is treating guests with respect and making sure we have a safe environment. That's a challenging job, as you can imagine, really difficult. But we spend a lot of time training folks and we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that expectations are clear. We'll have a lot of people working and we'll want to make sure that they all know the program. All right. Whew. Well, we have 50 months. <laughs> so, Does something like this end up being like a calling card for a venue that, I mean, that you can say in the future to other promoters, well, you know, we did stage the Ares tour. I mean, does, does it help the stadium to have that on its resume? Absolutely. I mean, I think we have a lot of other examples to point to, like the Super Bowl and the Final Four. I put Taylor Swift three shows in November 2024 in that same category. It shows that we are versatile, that we can provide what the client really wants and needs, that we're not stuck into doing one particular type of event, whether it's just football games or just concerts. We are multi-purpose, trying to develop economic impact for central Indiana, trying to bring tourism to Indianapolis. I, we're really proud of that. And I think this show will demonstrate to anybody who thinks that there are certain areas that that we're not as strong in, this will this will really demonstrate that strength. I'm glad you brought up Final Four. So so there you have you have an event. I mean it's basically a three day event. You have the the games on Saturday and then the game final game on, on Monday. So it's it's you know a 72 hour period of time. Where do you think from what you know right now, how complex is doing the Taylor Swift show compared to a Final Four? One thing that's different for a Final Four is we have that center court. Uh, Final Four is right at the 50-yard line on that Colts helmet. And so we have to bring in over 20,000 additional seats. It's a whole new seating structure that comes from Alabama into our into our building for that. So it takes two or three weeks to set up. Um, and there are uh, just a, a lot of interested parties when you have the NCA, you have the teams, you have the sponsors, you have the community, you have the local organizing committee. So there are complexities to a mega sporting event that aren't in play for this. But that's not to say that one's harder or easier. They're just different. And I think there are learnings that we have from our major sporting events that we've had that we're going to use with Taylor Swift's Eras Tour. And there are things that we're going to learn from Taylor Swift's Eras Tour that we're going to use for future huge sporting events for Indianapolis. All right. Well, I guarantee you we'll check in here uh, before next November. But thank you for this uh, preview. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun, Mason. Thank you very much. My thanks again to Eric Newberger. In the latest issue of IBJ, Dave Lindquist takes an even deeper dive into Taylor Swift's three-night stay in Indianapolis, as well as how Central Indiana's concert ecosystem positions itself for mega tours. And before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few other stories in the latest edition of IBJ I want to draw to your attention. First up. A month after bar and restaurant owners in Broderpool moved their weekend closing times up to 1 a.m., they say they've seen a significant reduction in violence in the village. 
Taylor Wooten examines the effectiveness of the curfew and other measures that business owners and police tried in the wake of a triple homicide. Also in this week's issue, Daniel Bradley has the latest on the plan from Connor Prairie to expand west across the White River and into Carmel. And Peter Blanchard profiles GOP gubernatorial candidate Eric Doden, who has little name recognition for someone seeking such a high office. And again, you can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at IBJ.com. I will say it is easier to access all of the latest local news about business and politics and all of IBJ's data on central Indiana's business community and economy if you're a subscriber. And you might not know that we have wrapped all of IBJ's content together with all of the stories, columns, and podcasts from our sister publication, Inside Indiana Business. And that works out to about $3 per week for actionable information about every notable business development across the state. You won't find Indiana's story told with this kind of breadth and depth anywhere else. Just go to ibj.com and click on the subscribe button. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week.